This I Work For Him podcast is brought to you in part by Rosedale Communications, offering author-centric literary consulting, writing, and editing services to help you capture your voice, craft your message, edit your content, and publish your completed manuscript for business or ministry online at craftingyourmessage.com. Hey there, it's producer Michael Miracle here. Thanks for listening to the I Work For Him podcast. We are your on-air resource as a workplace believer. And check out our website for tons more I Work For Him resources. We've got blogs and podcasts and reading material and all sorts of fun stuff there. Plus, a link to listen to the live show several times a day. Yep, head to the website. That's IWorkForHim.com. IWorkTheNumberForHim.com. And the listen tab's up there on the top left. Click that, then click the live link, and you can listen to us live every weekday. That's IWorkForHim.com. I work the number four him.com. And now let's go ahead and kick off what we all came here for, hearing more about connecting what we learn on Sunday with what we do in our nine to five. This is the I Work For Him podcast. Hey, we're fueling the faith and work movement five days a week, providing resources for workplace believers. I Work For Him is on the air now. Welcome to I Work For Him this afternoon. We've got a really exciting show for you. Every day we bring the challenge to the air, helping you understand and me understand the connection between what we hear on Sunday with and what we do in our nine to five that equipping that challenge and to recognize that our workplace it's your mission field and in that mission field you and me we may be the only Jesus our co-workers our employees may ever meet that job that you hold the work that you do the people that you work with none of that is by chance the people that you work with they need to meet Jesus and you may be their only chance. Hey, we invite you to go out to iworkforhim.com and check us out online. iworkforhim.com, iwork4him.com. Out there, when you go onto our website, you'll be greeted by a flag that says, Join the I Work For Him Nation. And you'll hear some commercials about that later. That's just all about praying. It's not a club you join. It's a commitment you make to start praying for your coworkers and employees each and every day by name. All right. Is it all right for Christ followers in business to make money? I mean, is there a chance that we might be in the wrong if we make a lot of money? Is that possible? For years, you've heard us talk on the show about the fact that God created business and commerce and that it's good. I think it's gaining the right perspective and making sure that all you do and all that you make isn't focused on you and your possessions, that God blesses you not necessarily just to increase your status of living, but mostly to increase your status of giving. There is a right and wrong when it comes to running a business. In fact, there are principles for the profits that we make today. Bobby Albert joins us to talk about his career at the Albert Companies and then beyond and about his passion for values-driven leadership, Bob, and, and his book, Principled Profits, Outward Success is an Inside Job. Bobby Albert, welcome to I Work For Him. Well, thank you, and it's such a pleasure to be on your show, Jim. Well, we're excited just to share you with our audiences all over the country for people to hear from your heart. When I read your book, I, I felt your heart as you just described how the Lord moved in you as an executive. But I, I always ask this question, and I didn't put it on my list of questions I was going to ask you, but why don't you tell the audience how you came to be a Christ follower? Well, uh, the you know, I've always been a person inter- interested in having a positive attitude and having joy and happiness in my life. And before I received eternal life, 
I tried to gain that joy and happiness by taking courses, going to school, working hard. And I always admired and was envious of people who were happy and had a joy of life about them. Uh, then one day, uh, I had seen a friend at a meeting that I had not seen in several years. And when he got up to speak, uh, he had the most positive outlook on life. And you could tell he was a happy person with joy in his heart. Well, the ne- next week, I uh, uh, after the meeting, I called him at work to ask him how he had learned to have such a positive outlook. And at that time, I was asking him, you know, was he listening or reading positive thinking uh, CDs and, and reading positive thinking books and 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 could I borrow them or obtain them? And he asked me if he could call me back next week for lunch. And boy, you, you know, of course I'm going to say sure. Well, a few days later, and this is an amazing thing, uh, that there was a divine appointment. He and I crossed each other's path at the barbershop. Now, what was so unique about that and unusual is that he stopped there uh, for coffee every morning and had for years. And I had been going to that uh, barbershop since I was in seventh grade, and we had never seen each other there before. And uh, so we left that barbershop, and and we met each other at a restaurant. And, of course, the first thing I asked him about, hey, how can I get a hold of these positive thinking CDs and books? And to my surprise, he told me about the gift of eternal life and how I could receive it. And although I've been going to church for many years, I knew right then that I uh, – did not have eternal life, and so I accepted the gift of eternal life. And ever since then, my life has been filled with that joy and happiness uh, that has expanded my opportunities in my family and business life. And now I have the assurance of eternal life. And uh, so that's so, kind of my... I love that, Bobby. I love that. How old were you when you finally became a Christ follower? I was 30 years old. So let me just ask this question. Now, we're going to go into your business experience. Were you already running the family business at that point in time? Well, uh, yes, I was. Okay. Uh, All right. So that's a a big key. So that means you were running the family business at at first as not a Christ follower, then as a Christ follower. So there was some paradigm shifting. Let's go to that. Bobby, Albert, you got to, you all of a sudden came into the leadership of your family business. What happened? How did that happen? Well, if I can share kind of a story here, is that my father started a furniture upholstery and refinishing business in 1938. Uh, In the late 50s, um, is that him uh, listening to his customers uh, who, back then, you know, we didn't have, you know, retail stores like you know them today, furniture retail stores, and uh, his customers were saying, hey, you just re-upholstered and refinished all this furniture, and we're also thinking about moving. Would you mind moving us? Because we're worried about the movers tearing all this up. So uh, my dad started a moving business. Well, 
I was very fortunate as a little boy to be able to hang out with my dad uh, a lot. I mean, I knew who the people at the insurance company, the bankers, I knew who the people that repaired them, you know, the trucks. Uh, I knew even back then we had full service, you know, service, you know, gasoline stations. And um, I, I knew the guy, you know, the people that would put the fuel in the trucks. So, uh, and I remember the first job that my dad let me go out on, on, I was 12 years old. And uh, right before I went out, he said, Bobby, now when you go out there, I don't want you to act like the boss's son. Now, I, I don't know about you, but, and I don't, when I think back uh, as a 12-year-old kid, somehow I knew exactly what he meant. And, and from that day forward, I committed that I was going to be the swamper. I was there to serve those uh, uh, those people who were working on the trucks. Uh, I was going to do all the jobs that they didn't want to do. Uh, I was I would run between the truck and the house, and the house and and the truck, and so uh, that's where I really kind of got started in this moving business. And I worked on the trucks, you know, through high school, and I went to to the university here locally. And even on Saturdays, uh, while I was in the, at going to the college, I would go in on Saturday mornings and prepare paperwork for jobs coming up, did some of his bookkeeping and, and those kind of things. But uh, I was also very fortunate to graduate from college uh, at the after three years uh, at the age of 20. Uh, so... Uh, a lot of my college buddies, you know, were still had another year to go. Well, uh, a few months after I had graduated, is uh, my I was with some of my buddies. Uh, we were, you know, right before the fall semester was about ready to start, and we were playing foosball. And uh, while we were there, well, uh, some people came up to me and said, hey, Bobby, uh, uh, we just got a call, and your dad's had a heart attack, and uh, mm. they've taken him to the emergency room. So, Bobby, you're playing foosball. Somebody comes in and tells you your dad has had a heart attack. Yes. All right. Well, uh, a bunch of my buddies that I was playing foosball with right before that small uh, fall semester of college, uh, we hopped in the car, rushed down to the – uh, emergency room at the hospital and I walked in these double doors and there my mom was over to the left and she stood up and about that time the doctor came up to us and and he came over and he was a family you know on as our family doctor and uh, he kind of looked down and said uh, Bobby uh, I, I wasn't able to uh, I wasn't able to save you so right then I was thrust uh, to become the leader of this small family business. It had five employees. Uh, what I didn't know at the time, and it's a lot of money today, but in 1973, this is, you know, a long time, uh, is that our total revenue was less than $90,000 
and we were seventy thousand dollars in debt. Oh, and you, as wow. you know from a business perspective, I mean we were way upside down, and um, uh, it, so I I, uh, I had to set sit down with uh, with these three bankers at the time. And of course, two of them wanted to go ahead and shut us down. Uh, fortunately, one of them uh, wanted to give me a chance, and somehow he convinced the other two uh, to give me a chance, um, and they did. But I had I had to just scrape and scrape and scrape and scrape for you know to make it work. And um, I remember I had to have a fierce conversation. I, I'm 20 years old. And I had to ask these five employees to take a pay cut. Uh, now, I, I tell you what, to ask someone to take a pay cut, you know, think about it today, how hard it would be. Mm. But, what, but what surprised me is I got 100% acceptance. I think it's had a lot to do with they had, they had re, you know, respect for my dad because my dad really took care of his employees. Uh, but also, all those years, going back when I was 12 years old, working side by side to these people, uh, me taking, you know, like one break to their two breaks. And so, you know, they knew my work ethic, and I gained their trust over many years there that they also respected me. And um, uh, I, I, I uh, it, it was a very tough time, but with... You know, uh, even though I wasn't a Christian yet, I can look back and see the, God's hand in all of this because within two years, we had grown, uh, with a lot of people helping me, we had grown our revenue by 252%, and we had the highest profits that the company uh, had ever had. And from there forward, our company just kept growing, kept growing, kept growing, kept growing, kept growing until I sold the company in 2011 to a public traded company and we had over 150 employees and it was a very successful company. Those five employees that you inherited from your dad the day he died, how many of those stayed with you until retirement? I mean, how many of those stick, stayed with you the long, the, on the long run? Well, uh, I would say over the long run, uh, over many more years, uh, two of them stayed with us. Uh, the, so, um, anyway, it's, okay. uh, so it, it, it's it one tough time. Oh, I can't even imagine. Can't even imagine tough for you, tough for your mom, tough for your family. Uh, it, so you take, you get the leadership of this company. You'd watched your dad do it, but you all of a sudden you're 20 years old. You, the leadership of the company is thrust into your hands. Did leadership come naturally for you? Well, it did. Uh, my bent is toward leadership, and I, I didn't understand it at the time, but, I mean, even going when I was a little boy, I was always asked to be the captain of the sports team or be the president of this club or, you know, it just – and I have never in my whole life, I've never asked to be in a leadership position. And – and for years, still, even today, I get people wanting me to head up this and lead that and things. And it, it's uh, so it's always come very easy for me. 
You mentioned in your book, and, we're, and, and a lot of the questions come from me reading your book, Principled Profits, and we're going to give away a copy after the bottom of the half hour. The outward success is an inside job. So you took over the company at 20. You weren't until you were 30 before you became a Christ follower. How big of a difference did that make in your life, having Jesus at the center of your life at 30 and how you led the company versus where you were at 20 when you led the company? How big of a difference did your faith make and how you took Albert companies uh, all the way up the to being a very successful, very profitable company? Well, it gave me, just like the Bible teaches, I became a new creature. Now, it, you know, up and, up until that point, till I September 1st of 1982 is when I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior and the Lord of my life. But the up until that point, I was a pretty good person. You know, I, I went to church. Uh, I, I had been raised up in the church, but I was always earning my way to heaven. And so I was, by, because of that, I was a pretty good person according to most people's standards. So when I became a Christian, uh, it wasn't like earth shack, you know, shattering of a big life change and things. So things, but I began to see God's hand working in my life. Uh, and, uh, 1987, in the spring of 1987, I was encouraged to start, uh, having a daily quiet time. Now, what I'm about ready to share with you, I'm not sharing this so you can pat me on the back and congratulate me or anything like this, but I, since the spring of 1987, I have never missed a day of quiet time except one day when I was traveling. And, and, and God's word has played a huge, uh, uh, role in my life. And also that spring of just reading God's word, I got, uh, I, I sensed that the Lord wanted to start for me to start seeing my work as a ministry and not a job that I went to every mm. day. So, okay, so when did you get married in all of this time? Well, uh, within about, uh, I was already uh, planning to get married uh, uh, in January of 1974, uh, and then all of a sudden my, you know, uh, uh, my dad died and but we went ahead and got married in January of 1974. So if we asked your wife how big of a difference was the before, because your wife is the one that really knows, the before Jesus Bobby Albert and the after Jesus Bobby Albert, she's the one that could tell us the difference, isn't she? Well, she could because uh, she was already a Christian and had been, you know, since she was a young kid. Uh, and you know how we went to counseling with the, my pastor and her pastor, you know, before we got married. Um, but she, you know, if she looked at the way I was behaving, I behaved like I was a Christian. So, uh, it was, again, it wasn't, she knows, she knows there was a difference. Um, it's, uh, uh, because my, uh, you know, there was a lot of things about me just trying to work, 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 work. And all of a sudden, Jesus Christ became the center of my life. 
And it's at home. We're the most real people, and our wives know us the best. What's your wife's first name? Her, her, she's, uh, she's Susan to me, but to our grandkids, she is Mimi, and they call me G-Bob. Wow. They can only do that in Texas because if somebody calls me G-Bob, I don't know what I'd do with them. They, they, <laughs> my, 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 my youngest grandson was born almost a year ago, and my daughter-in-law is trying to you know, get me called Jimmy Gramps. I'm like, I don't think so. I grew up in Minnesota. That's way too much southern thing. You said earlier that, you, that leadership came naturally to you. In your book, though, you distinguish between leaders, being, being a leader and being a manager. What's the difference between being a leader and a manager? Well, that's a, that's a very good question. It, it you know, it. Uh, I knew there was a difference. Uh, I just didn't quite understand it until several years later. But leading is more dealing with uh, that we enhance relationships. Managing, we drive for results. Leading is focusing on on people. Managing focuses on the things of the business. Leading, you lead people, you manage things. And you focus on leading, you focus on the how we say and do and and managing is focus is is on what we say and do. Now, but most people get really caught up in the managing people and leading things. And, and and what's the danger there when people start managing people instead of man? I mean, there's a big danger there when you try to control people, isn't there? Well, uh, what I had learned, and it took me a while to figure this out as well, is that the most effective leader uh, leads it's is they enhance relationships and drive for results and most leaders i have found are driving for results i talk to ceos all the time their whole focus is give me more results give me more results give me more results basically what they're saying i want more profit i want more profit i want more profit and they ask me to help them they want me to come in and fix their people. The truth is the CEO is the one that needs to be fixed. And, <laughs> uh, what I have learned you just ticked a bunch of people off. Bobby, Bobby, you just ticked yeah. a bunch of people off. I know, I know. But it's the truth, you know. Uh, and I'm not a – my spiritual gift's not prophecy, but uh, uh, <laughs> but it is, you know, it, it is the truth. And, and – um, and, and most see most CEOs think or leaders uh, think that the first thing I need to do is to grow my business. But the first thing they need to do is to grow them, then grow their people, and then their business will grow. So, how did you grow as a leader? How did you make sure that you were growing and maturing and improving as a leader? Well, I. Uh, I tell you what, it took me a while to figure that out as well. But this kind of goes back to when I was even a little boy. I was, as a little boy, I was full of curiosity. I mean, I was just, my parents would have maybe, I had a lot of energy. I was very active. My parents would have probably told you that 
that I had a d d d d d d d d you know, and and I think this is the reason why they started me in school a year earlier than everyone else in kindergarten because I was only four years old. So I've always had this curiosity. I was always had a deep desire for personal growth to learn. Uh, when you know when we were talking about me scraping and scraping, I mean I would study things about the business, about how to run the business better, uh, industry information. I mean I would put myself to sleep at night uh, just reading, constantly you know learning. I knew I had because if I can say this is I had uh, it, it, that. I was going, I, I learned this later, but I knew somehow uh, my intuition is I was the one that's going to be the lid to the growth of the business. And I needed to be growing faster than the people, but I also needed to help them grow uh, and develop themselves so that eventually it was going to help our business grow. So how did you make sure that you were growing your people? Because you were very young when you took over the leadership of your company, 20 years old. You didn't come to Christ until you were 30, and you didn't really start understanding that your workplace was your mission field, as my numbers put it up, 35. So how did you help your people grow the proper way? How did you make sure that they were going to grow to be the most valuable asset you had in your business? Well, I have learned that uh, most people don't grow on their own. Uh, there's something about when you get out of high school or out of college, uh, we stop growing. And to give you an example, I'll, often I'll see some, you know, high school friend or a college buddy, you know, or something, and all they want to talk about is what we do back in college. And I'm trying, I'm trying to get the conversation going about, well, what's going on in your life right now? How's your family, you know, and what's going on with your kids and things, you know, right now? But they keep want to just go on and on about what we did in college or in high school. And what it, what it has helped me understand is when we get out of that discipline, and to me, the definition of discipline is doing what you don't want to do so you can go do what you want to do, is that we, when we got away from that discipline of preparing for a test or writing a paper or, you know, studying on this or that uh, for a class that you're going to have, when we got away from it, we quit growing. Right. So I had, I had to initiate helping people develop, along with myself, develop uh better skills i had to help them uh in in our ministry in 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 our workplace we looked at the employee in a holistic way and what i mean by uh, helping them grow uh, mind body spirit and emotions for us emotions meant how to develop better relationships so hmm. Uh, so those those were the ways that I had to initiate because most people won't be growing themselves. You know, uh, you mentioned something in your book, and I love that. I love the fact that you invested in your people and that you saw them as a ministry. I, I want to go into something else you wrote in there about, you know, you made this statement. We, the uninformed, working for the inaccessible, are doing the impossible for the ungrateful. 
What does this say about the typical corporate organizational leadership that typically happens? And what's that? How was that different than how you led? I'm going to read it again. We, the uninformed, working for the inaccessible, are doing the impossible for the ungrateful. That describes so many jobs in the United States of America. Well, you're exactly right. And that's a quote uh, from my mentor for over 20 years, a guy named Jim Lundy. And you're exactly right. When I visit other workplaces and talk to CEOs or leaders of, of an organization is that it's mainly the people on the front line. That's how many of them feel. <clears throat> uh, Gallup uh, did a, uh, through their research, they surveyed over 1 million employees and over 85,000 companies, which is a huge sampling. And what they found that only 33% of the companies were engaging their employees on a regular basis. Uh, in other words, when those employees went to work each day, is that they were excited, they had a passion, they were enthusiastic to get to work to do a great job. But it's sad that there's 67% of the companies out there is that people are going to work each day and they're disengaged. In other words, uh, to them, it's just you know, it's just putting in my day give me my paycheck, you know, that kind of, and there's also a group that's totally disengaged. In other words, uh, they're walking the hallway speaking bad about the boss and about the company. So, well, that's uh, bound to happen if they don't, if they don't think the people that that run the company care about them, of course, they're going to speak bad about them because they're just, they're frustrated. People want to know they're loved and appreciated at work. That's just part of the deal. Yes, exactly right. Yeah, what uh, what Gallup found in their in their research was that do you care for me? Do I, in other words, you know, do you look at me as a person? Do I belong here? In other words, do I fit here? Can I contribute to uh, the goals of the company? Does this company stand for something? And do you create a learning environment that I can do the best job I can do? How nice would it have been if Gary Chapman had written the Five Languages of Appreciation book when you were still managing? I mean, I have found that book to be so helpful, understanding people's love languages and making sure that, I mean, appreciation languages in the workplace, of course, but understanding that and be able to touch people the way they need to be mentally, physically, emotionally touched at work so they know they're appreciated. How much harder will people work when they know they're appreciated? Well, but from my experience, uh, you know, I didn't know to use the word engaging employees, but I, I was doing it for years, going back into the early 70s, shortly, not too long after my dad died. But what I have found is that, uh, is that when you engage your employees, and, 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 and uh, I use the term a secret sauce that I learned in, in our business is that it's a participative leadership style. Now, we had a tool which we call the one, two, three. And our total company, I mean, everybody knew what the one, two, three was. And what that said is that uh, at the beginning of the decision making process and before I made a decision, or, you know, me as a CEO or another leader, 
in a department or whatever it was in our company is that before I made a decision, I'd ask myself three questions. Who can help me make a better decision? Who will be impacted by it? And who's going to have to carry it out? And I would get them involved in the decision-making process. Wow. Boy, if every leader asked those questions, that'd be amazing. All right, Bobby, I want to ask you some more business questions or more leadership questions. You focused in the book, one of the chapters, I don't have it written down, but the difference between expedient behavior and principled behavior. What do you mean? Well, it's a, that's a very, uh, you know, very good question about that. And what, you know, this is kind of oversimplifying it. But uh, expediency uh, behavior is one that, that it's the easiest, you know, I'm going to do what is the easiest and the quickest that can make me the happiest in the short run. Uh, it's deep down, it's mostly rooted in fear. And if you continue this path, and a lot of people, t- especially today, in, the, in other parts of their life, not just talking about their work life, uh, they'll end up with negative consequences that they're just, and then they want to start blaming other people. A principal behavior is somebody that will willing to accept short-term pain and sacrifice, invest in time, energy, and money, uh, and it's built on faith but what they will see over the long term is is growth, blessings, and success. Hmm. I mean, it makes such a difference. When you put it in perspective of you running for the Texas Senate, how did you delineate, uh, when you compared yourself to the candidates you were running against, principled versus expedient behavior, that really sounds like politician versus non-politician. Well, what had happened when I ran for the Texas State Senate, there was one time that some people wanted to uh, support me, and they were willing to spend a lot of money uh, in, in support, and they wanted to do a mailing. Now, uh, I, you know, I'm thinking that at that time I, was, I made an expedient decision because I was thinking, okay, I'm the candidate. I can make this decision. And these people are good Christian people. I, I know them, and they have good intentions. And um, um, I'm in a hurry because I got started focusing on it. I knew the race was going to be real close. Um, and my candidate, I mean, my opponent was uh, already in politics, so I was running against somebody. You know, I was new to the game, and it. Uh, so I was trying to get, I was trying to gain some win here, gain us a win. So I made a decision on the spot. It was an emotional decision rather than uh, based on principles, and I didn't even get with my campaign committee. Uh, I didn't even ask the campaign committee to even check out what we were, was going to be mailed by these people. I didn't even do it until it was mailed out. And then, I mean, the phone started ringing, the media, because the mail piece had some stuff that we wouldn't have never approved. Uh, man, that's got to be frustrating. So needless to say, you didn't win the race, did you? 
Well, we no, we didn't, but we came close. We got a little over forty-eight percent of the of the vote. But um, I knew the Lord wanted me to run that race, but He never did say I was going to win or lose. Wow, I love that. Okay, I love this quote from your book. I want to be a values-driven company that achieves results, not a results-oriented company that has values. Explain the significance of that statement. Well, uh, uh, actually, before I discovered my core values is I came up with that phrase. And uh, because most businesses are results-driven. Now, there's not too many companies I'm finding more each day, you know, that they have core values, but they're not, They most of the employees, when I walk in the place and talk to the employees about, you know, the core values, no one knows what they are. But so that tells me this is a results-driven company, even though they may have some core values posted up in the lobby. But I wanted to be a values-driven company that achieved results. And, and, uh, if I can maybe share this, is that I spent uh, two and a half years trying to figure out who I was because core values are driven by the, they're discovered by the leader. They're not Mm -hmm. set. They're not set. And uh, it just so happened that a few months before I discovered uh, my core values is uh, we... My leadership team, this is part of developing the leaders in our company, is we would do book reviews. And we did a book review on Built to Last by Jim Collins. Mm-hmm. And then we followed up with that with, you know, the one that he's very well known is The Good to Great uh, by Jim Collins. And uh, uh, that really helped me a lot to formulate what core values were and what they were not. And most people have that kind of mixed up. But I I spent two and a half years, and when I finally discovered who I was, the core values, and the core values typically are driven by the founder uh, of the organization. In a lot of ways, even though my dad started the business, uh, in a lot of ways I was the founder because of, you know, where we finally reached. But this this is the thing, and it proved out because... Uh, Jim Collins, even in his research, found he came up with this principle called uh, preserve the core and stimulate progress. And I saw even we our pro, our uh, uh, success tied very closely to his research. And what had happened in 2005, uh, okay, we announced our core values. And you know what the economy is doing in late 07, 08, yeah, 09? I, yeah, I remember. Yeah, a lot of people do. Uh, and it was in the tank. But even during that, from 2005 to 2011, even with that economy like that, our revenue grew five times and our profits grew five times. Mm, and What a uh, gift. Two, and, and two years leading up to you know me selling the company, we were invited and we were awarded to be one of the 
100 best companies to work for in the state of Texas. All right, I got I got two questions I want to ask you at the end, and I don't have time for either one, so I'm going to ask the one that it's probably more important. You, as a business owner and leader, you are running a company that was growing leaps and bounds. How did you protect your marriage to make sure you didn't compromise your marriage while you're growing a business and you got 30 seconds? All right. Mary, my marriage with my wife uh, was a high priority. And I knew it had to be one of the highest priorities in my life because uh, we had we had three sons, and I knew that I had to set the you know I was the spiritual leader of the home, and I had to demonstrate the example that they needed to see the relationship I had with their mom, hmm. and so. All right. How do people find out more about your book? Because we've given the copy away. How do people find out about it on uh, on the internet? What's the website? Well, I uh, appreciate you asking that. Uh, it's simply bobbyalbert.com is my website. And uh, so bobbyalbert.com. Bobby, we got to go. Bobby Albert, yep. thank you for sharing principal profits with us today. Thank you for being on I Work For Him, Bobby. Thank you. BobbyAlbert.com. That's BobbyAlbert.com. Check it out. Get a copy for yourself. Principled Profits. You've been listening to I Work For Him with your host, Jim Brangenberg. I'm a Christ follower. My workplace is my mission field, but I work for him.